War never changes. Remember, no Russian. Did I ever tell you the definition of insanity? If I'm to choose between a greater and lesser evil, I'd rather not choose at all. I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. Everyone I have cared for has either died or left me. Everyone fucking except for you. Hey, hello, how's everyone today? Welcome to Let's Talk Video Games with your host, Walter Nunez. So today marks the sixth week that I've been doing the podcast and I'm super happy about it. I hope all of you have an amazing week because we will start it by talking about microtransactions. This topic is one of the most controversial ones in the gaming industry, but it is also one of the most lucrative ones. As usual, we will take a look into what microtransactions are in the first place. So microtransactions are a business model that offers digital content paid with micropayments. However, this business model has been happening for a while, but it really started to become popular with free-to-play games, especially the mobile games. Take Battle Royale, for instance. They offer gems, gold, and sometimes cards for real-life money. These payments can be less than $5, making it super affordable. However, it is this same affordability that makes it so easy to buy packs several times. It is no surprise that there are people who spend thousands of dollars on these games. Now, even though we may think of microtransactions as mobile only, that is not true. There are a lot of games on consoles who now use microtransactions as part of their business model. GTA V, for instance, has the shard cards on their online feature. We discussed the case of GTA V specifically in episode 2, so you can check it out if you want a more in-depth info about that. While GTA V has done microtransaction inclusion on their game very well, not all games have done the same thing. Games like FIFA, NBA, and several others have been relying on this business model a bit too much. Now, for quite some time, microtransactions worked in a straightforward way. This means you pay something with real-life money, and you will get the desired digital content. However, soon, developing companies devised a new variation of microtransactions that came to really revolutionize the gaming industry a bit too much, if you ask me. Loot boxes. Loot boxes are digitally created packs that include certain types of digital content for a game. However, the exact contents of these packs are not known until you open one. This means that every single box you buy has random elements inside. This has led to a big conversation of whether loot boxes are gambling or not. So this looks like a pretty shitty business model. So why is it still a thing? Well, it's because of two main reasons. The first one being people that still consume microtransactions, and the second one that it helps the gaming industry economically. So let's dig deeper into why people consume microtransactions. The whole deal has to do with psychology, unsurprisingly. According to Gabe Duverge on the Toro University Worldwide website, microtransactions are based on people's impulse buying. Games for decisions to keep them playing by paying a small amount of money. Since the price is too small, people are more willing to pay it. And these small payments can be done over and over and over again. There is something about not seeing these huge numbers that make microtransactions so appealing. 
If you're not keeping count on how much money you're spending, 5 or $3 increments feel like nothing. Now let's talk about reason number two, the help it provides to the industry. On one hand, it sounds obvious that microtransactions generate more money for development companies, but the microtransaction business model also helps the users. Since more games are relying hard on this model, they can cut the costs of a game. Developing a game is quite expensive. For instance, it is estimated that Red Dead Redemption 2 costed around $650 million. In order to generate revenue high enough to pay for the development costs, the constant updates, and to pay for the upcoming games Rockstar may want to create, $60 per copy is not enough. And that's where microtransactions enter. By making money that way, they guarantee a not-so-high price on their copies, therefore selling more. League of Legends is arguably the most important MOBA ever and one of the most popular games in history. You only need to download the game to play it, since it has no cost. They say a lot of cosmetics for their game, which do not affect the competitive aspect of it. They sell icons, loot boxes, skins, chromas for those skins, and more. Honestly, the way League of Legends has made its business model is impressive to say the least. They create some really cool skins, usually following a theme. In October, they create spooky skins, for example, appealing to the love for Halloween. In December, they do Christmas ones, and in spring, they do Japanese Spirit Blossom ones. Overall, they generate a lot of content throughout the year, making players buy more stuff just to look cool. That and the use of loot boxes helps a lot. You could say League of Legends has a hybrid way of doing and dealing with microtransactions. Overwatch, on the other hand, relies 100% on loot boxes. You can buy them or earn them, but at the end of the day, everything you win is random. You can get what you want or something you don't. I am not a fan of loot boxes, especially because the use of them is super close to gambling. There has been a lot of legal discussion around them. When they first started to become mainstream, there were no regulations at all. However, soon after, governments started to ask developers for extra stuff. For instance, one of the most important things they asked for was the accurate chance users have by using the loot boxes. After they provided the numbers, a new crisis arose, the gambling thing. According to research from Dr. David Sendel from the University of New York, there is a correlation between spending money on loot boxes and problem gambling. Dr. Sendel expressed that people who enjoy gambling are more likely to be drawn to loot boxes. In his report, he said, Problem gambling is characterized by uncontrolled excessive spending on gambling. Loot boxes share many similarities with gambling. It therefore makes sense that this uncontrolled spending may transfer to loot boxes too. And I agree. There have been a lot of cases that made the news of kids spending hundreds or thousands of dollars on mobile games. And those are the ones we know of. Extreme loot box purchasing is a very important problem in the gaming industry right now. It's hard to stop when you keep pushing your luck. Especially when sometimes you do get what you want. That's when you start feeling like maybe you are lucky enough to pull it off again and go on a spending spree once again. 
With all of this background, it makes sense that implementing microtransactions in a game is not easy. You need to keep a balance between the development company's revenue and the final user experience. It should not be a surprise that not every game does this correctly. Allow me to give you some examples. The first and probably most known of is Battlefront 2. This game developed by Electronic Arts was a promising successor. It had a new canon campaign with Aiden Virtue as a leading character and, more importantly, a new amazing multiplayer. The game was a sure win, not only because of the new content, but also because it is Star Wars and Star Wars sells a lot. However, around a month before the game was officially released, a beta early access was opened for players, and that's where the shit really hit the fan. Players quickly noticed that the game was pretty much a pay to win. Battlefront 2 relied way too much on loot boxes. If that wasn't enough, it would take dozens of hours for a player to unlock iconic characters like Darth Vader. Who would buy a Star Wars game where Darth Vader is not playable right away? He's one of the most important villains in movie history. EA then tried to appease the crowd with a post on Reddit. They explained that they had all of these walls so that the unlocking of heroes was something to be proud of. You know, a great accomplishment. And that same post became Reddit's most downvoted post in history. And even though they decided to remove loot boxes just before launch, the sales were terrible. Some Target stores reported no sales of the game in the first few days after release. EA's most ambitious Star Wars game at the time was failing hard. Throughout the years they have created an amazing game though. If you try Battlefront 2 now, it feels like a super nice Star Wars game with really epic battles. It is now the game it should have been when launched. I hope EA understands now how to deal with microtransactions in their games and stop making the same mistakes on future releases. Another case of bad loot boxing management was Shadow of War. The successor of Shadow of Mordor was a game all Lord of the Rings fans were expecting. Now that I think about it, there is a lot about big franchises that surpass one type of media that makes developers think that players will just pay for anything. And this game was yet another example of that not being the case. Shadow of War continued with the nemesis system created in the previous game. Basically, you kill or control orcs in an area, having the possibility of even controlling war chiefs. However, the newest game provided loot boxes that offered new orcs that you could just place in an open spot in Sauron's army. These loot boxes could be bought with real-life money and only affected the local gameplay. Loot boxing is not seen as great in general, but it is passable as long as it only provides cosmetics for online gameplay. The backlash for having loot boxes added on local gameplay was so strong that Monolith had to remove them altogether. Overall, microtransactions came to revolutionize the gaming industry, whether we like it or not. While they do help maintain affordable costs on video games, they are a tough thing to balance. Players are more open to microtransactions and loot boxes on free-to-play games than on regular ones, but they are starting to look normal there too. Developers should not consider the users stupid and happy to buy anything. There have been several examples that show how wrong that statement is. 
And that will be all for today. I'm excited to continue with this project and so happy for the support everyone has given me. I'll see you next week with a new episode of Let's Talk Video Games. Until then, stay safe. Cheers.